Welcome, everyone. I am delighted to welcome Alex Berenson today back to the program. You can follow Alex, uh, alexberenson.com, B-E-R-E-N-S-O-N. Also on Twitter, at Alex, or on X, at Alex Berenson, and Alex Berenson, I think it is dot uh, .substack.com. It's called Unreported Truths. He was a source of uh, clarity of thought during the hysteria of COVID. Actually wrote a book called Pandemia. How Coronavirus Hysteria Took Over Our Government's Rights and Lives. There it is. And uh, boy, it, that looks more uh, prescient than ever. Uh, we're going to get into it with them. We were also out on the Twitter spaces. And of course, as always, I'm watching you guys on the Rumble Rants and the retweets. Let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Valentine's Day is around the corner, so it is time to look your absolute best. Our friends at GenuCell are celebrating Valentine's Day with a special gift just for you. From now until Valentine's Day, get a limited-time gift of beauty box free with your order at GenuCell.com Drew. Each beauty box has two of GenuCell's top sellers for you to give a try. It's absolutely free. And right now, save over 60% off all of our favorite GenuCell products with one of our customized skincare packages. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. Plus, with its immediate effects, GenuCell promises results that will make you smile. It's guaranteed or 100% of your money back. Delight yourself and a loved one with our limited edition bundles right now at GenuCell.com slash Drew. Use our special code Drew at checkout for extra savings off your order today. And remember, every order placed is automatically upgraded to free shipping. Don't wait. That is GenuCell.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. We all know the value of a good night's sleep. We feel better, look better, have more energy to spare, but you could be missing out on all of those benefits if you're sleeping on sheets that are too hot or too cold or just plain uncomfortable. I have the solution. Cozy Earth Bedding. Cozy Earth is the softest and most comfortable sheets, blankets, loungewear, and more. They use premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo, and we sleep in them regularly. I wear their t-shirts. Susan wears their pajamas. Cozy Earth Bedding comes with a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on them, wash them, try them out. If you're not in love, just return them within 100 days for a full refund. Susan and I love them. In fact, we have Cozy Earth sheets on our bed right now, and they made a huge difference in our sleep. If you've never tried Cozy Earth, we have some awesome news. You can save up to 35% off Cozy Earth right now. But hurry, this offer will not last. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter my promo code DREW at checkout for up to 35% off on your first order. That is CozyEarth.com, promo code DREW, C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H, CozyEarth.com, code D-R-E-W. 
Thank you for joining us today. Alex Berenson, the guest. I'll give you the particulars again uh, on X, Alex Berenson, alexberenson.com, and then alexberenson.substack.com, Unreported Truths and the Pandemia. There is the book. Please do get it and read it. Welcome, Alex Berenson. I was just thinking before I got you in here, Alex, that uh, you were a source of solace and sanity for me during the pandemic. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me on, uh -oh. really. I know we've talked a few times, but it's always a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. And I, I've got a lot of stuff I want to ask you today. But before the mics heated up, you mentioned that you were writing about Pfizer. And I thought maybe I'll start with that Super Bowl ad. Is the $14 million they spent on the ad, is that for the totality of the production and the time? Or is that just one or the other? That, that is just so, you know, the Super Bowl, $7 million for a 30-second ad. You don't get a discount for uh, for buying two. Um, so there's right. $14 million for the time. You know, they, they've licensed the Queen song. They spent, you know, they spent another million or two probably producing it. Um, and, uh, yeah, oh, I've actually crazy. written two substacks about this because I found it so fascinating, their effort to sort of tie themselves. Essentially, you know, you remember... In 2021, Anthony Fauci was 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 brutally and correctly attacked for saying essentially, "I am science." What he actually said when I looked back was he said, "I represent science," and that's why they're attacking me. And you know that ad was Pfizer saying, "We're science." You know, 175 years. Look at all the sciencey, sciencey science that we've done. And um, the and the irony, the great sad irony, is that Pfizer is actually a really third-rate drug company. Um, uh, mm -hmm. You know, for their size and for the number of scientists they have for their revenues, they've produced very little in the way of important drugs, uh, you know, over the over the life of that company. And I say that as somebody, this was first obvious to me, this is what I wrote about in the first stack, um, compared to Merck, for example, uh, which is, a, you know, which is another big drug company, um, you know, Merck introduced the first statin, Merck has a very, very, very successful cancer drug, uh, an important cancer drug called Keytruda now, um, Pfizer, Pfizer's really never had a drug like that. Pfizer's most important drug, you would argue that, I mean, they, they had a drug called Lipitor, but Lipitor was just another statin right. that they were very good at marketing. Their most important yeah. drug arguably was Viagra. And look, Viagra, you know, as I joke in the piece today, in the Unreported Truths today, Viagra has probably saved some marriages. It's probably also destroyed some marriages. But Viagra, does, you know, it's not a cancer drug. Um, so right. when Pfizer tries to take on this mantle of, we are the scientific leader. Um, you know, we're the heirs to Einstein. It's just a joke. It's just sort of a wish fulfillment. They, they had Vioxx, did they not? Wasn't Vioxx their no, product? No, that was Merck. Ironically, that Merck? Okay. Pfizer had a drug called Celebrex. And Celebrex yeah. wasn't as toxic as Vioxx because it wasn't as good as Vioxx. It wasn't as right. Cox, uh, selective, Cox1 selective as Vioxx. Or, or, right. So... So, so it didn't work as well. I should say COX-2. It wasn't as good a COX-2 inhibitor. COX and so Merck yeah. got in more trouble. Yeah. In fact, I was telling somebody, I was telling Mark Yergos, I was talking about, because he, I guess, was in on that, that case. And I said two things. I said, A, I have patients that have never been the same since they took that medicine off the market. For some of my arthritis patients, it was sensational. And, and then I said, wasn't it the case that it only killed like about eight people? I mean, that we could connect it to, and and why are we not making a fuss about the the deaths now and what you know, it's products that might be causing death? Why why don't we have the same level of concern for more than eight deaths? 
So I will say that's actually a very interesting question. The estimates were that Vioxx had, had caused, I believe, it was 150,000 heart attacks and 40,000 fatalities. Um, and that, that, that was, was that was a construct. Hang on, that was a construct that, for the case. Yes. You know, it's the law. You're, there you're, were eight documented well, cases, as I recall. You are, you are, you are and, absolutely And I was a big, I was a big Vioxx prescriber, and it's not like we saw lots of heart attacks, right? We didn't you're, see you're anything. I didn't see, and, and I was, and, and what I have seen recently is a lot of myocarditis and a lot of arrhythmias and things that are, and some very strange coronary disease that has me very concerned. So you are you are absolutely correct about that, Doctor Drew. That was an estimate, and this is you know this is actually very relevant to uh, to the vaccine question, right? So so heart attacks are very common in the United States. Vox was very heavily prescribed. People made a guess based on there was a trial where Merck tested Vioxx against placebo because they wanted it to be approved for colon cancer prevention. The trial was actually called mm. approved. And that gave clean data against placebo showing that Vioxx caused heart attacks. And that's what led Vioxx to be pulled from the market. But you are correct that when the lawyers showed up, and Merck ultimately, I think, funded a settlement to the tune of about $5 billion, uh, you know, there weren't as many people who could prove that, uh, that they had had heart attacks caused by Vioxx as had initially been estimated based on that trial. And I think what that tells you is in the real world, it is so hard when you have a common event and you have a drug or a vaccine that's commonly given to parse out what's happening. And we have that yes. even more with the vaccines. And the vaccines don't have a clean clinically or clean placebo controlled trial because the trials from 2020 were all blown up in early 2021. And that is to some extent. That is working to Pfizer's advantage. It is working to Moderna's advantage. It is working to the government's advantage because we're all fighting with dirty data. On top of that, I, I'm of the opinion that the pathogenic component of all of this is the spike protein itself. And now you've got COVID and the vaccine intertwined and it's very hard to parse these things out. And uh, thank you for bringing back to the tune of, I think we ought to use that phrase more often to the tune of. And finally, <laughs> and finally... <laughs> And finally, uh, like we're, we're both some kind of time traveler that we use that phrase. But uh, finally, the I, what Garagos was telling me, because this this is the part I find interesting, and I think you'll find interesting, which is that I said, you know, when they when they they apparently had some data where they observed some heart attacks, and I said, well, what? How did they decide that the heart attacks weren't were not related to the Viox? And their response was, well, they had a guy. They had a guy that went in and looked at it. And, and guess what we're doing now with the VAERS data and the research on vaccine? The FDA has a guy. And he goes in and, and tries to do something that can't be done. And we have a case that was exemplary to that end. And so what are we supposed to be doing here? And what is wrong with the FDA? Well, I mean, it's right. It's it's in a way, it's even uglier than that, right? The companies run the clinical trials, right? and they select the mm -hmm. investigators, or they hire the contract research organizations. And and look, I think there are very good, very honest scientists in in there. There can also be mm -hmm. scientists who either don't want to fight with the companies, they're just not sort of inclined to fight with them, or in some cases, it might be a little worse than that, where they really, mm -hmm. um, you know, they want more jobs going forward, and they know if they fight too much with the companies, 
They may not get more research jobs going forward. And so let's say somebody has a, you know, an event uh, in the trial and, and you break the blind and it turns out that person was on the drug or on the vaccine. Well, the company mm-hmm. and the investigator determine whether they believe that was related or not. And so sometimes the companies put pressure on the investigators to say, you know what, it was three weeks later, it was a heart attack, but but yeah, the person had, you know, they had high cholesterol before, I don't think it was related. And so it, even, even, and I do think that the, the, the generally our system uh, of clinical research is pretty good, but but if you're not honest, there are places to play games. Well, I, I would just say this. My profession was the object of all kinds of uh, scrutiny, by, or let's not call it scrutiny, uh, manipulation by the drug companies. And even very, very mild contact with a drug rep has been shown to cause bias in how we prescribe. To the point now, we are not allowed to accept a pen with a drug name on it. How is it not the case that somebody who is doing research with a coworker who will one day hire them, how is that not creating bias? And yet a freaking pen is supposed to bias me, a professional who's trained not to be biased, by the way. Tell me how that works. I, I think I think you're correct. You just have to look, someone has to pay for drug research and discovery. And and you know the companies do it. They and and they are correct. Creating a drug, bringing it to market takes a very long time. You know, from the very first, you know, you've the first receptor you find, the first molecule mm-hmm, you discover. Mm-hmm. Now with these, um, you know, monoclonal antibodies and, and and big molecules, biologics, it's even harder. Someone has to pay for mm-hmm. that, and the F, it's not the FDA or the CDC that pays for it. It's the companies that pay for it. And so I think we just have to hope that there are ethical people in there. To me, I think in general, at early stages, the companies are willing to, you know, see that there are problems and and stop discovery. The problem comes late in the game. When you have a drug that is Mm. close to being marketed or that is on the market where they've put substantial resources in, at that point, they're going to, and by substantial resources, I mean hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in some cases, they're going to do what they can to protect those drugs. And, and usually they have a story to tell for, for the, for Vioxx, you know, just to go back to that, because that's a, that's a case you and I both know. The story was mm-hmm. there are people who have stomach problems who can't tolerate aspirin or ibuprofen, and this drug enables them to live with less pain and 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 not have ulcers, and that's a good thing. And yes, we saw some extra heart attacks in our clinical trials, but that's because naproxen is so good at preventing heart attacks. That was always Merck's mm-hmm. position on this. Okay, and so. And so, and, and and it's very interesting. This is 20 years later, Dr. Drew, and you are out there essentially arguing that Vioxx shouldn't have been pulled. Okay, so these so these questions get complicated. I think in the case of the vaccines, it's really problematic. And here's why. Okay, we do have some institutional checks and balances on drugs, right? We have we have trialers out there who are looking for drugs that cause problems and are willing to sue about them. And you know, that costs Merck money. We have an FDA that sometimes will push back or at least just cause the disclosure of more data. We have a media that asks questions. Well, guess what? I mean, when I worked at the New York Times, none of those things when it comes to vaccines in particular. Yeah. There is right. no right. there's no liability. The FDA, the the head 
vaccine regulator at the FDA was literally no joke, no exaggeration. Dr. Peter Marks, the guy who came up with Operation Warp Speed and the media was entirely in the tank for these vaccines, both because they hated Trump once, you know, once Biden was elected and the vaccines were available, they wanted COVID to end. And because the word vaccine has this sort of magic power over everyone. And so, so all the sources of checks were not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am quite aware. In fact, it's interesting if you, I, uh, I don't know if you know Joseph Fryman, but he's done some great research and some great work. And he did an interview with the FDA with his research team. It, I, if you look at one of my older episodes with him, he actually played us some of the tape. And Marks is in there. And a rheumatologist, a pediatric rheumatologist out here at UCLA said, look, I sent a VAERS report in a, a month ago or something. I had a seven-year-old that died the next day within 24 hours of the vaccine. I've not heard from the FDA. There's the actual, there's the actual interview. And uh, well, this and man's saying you did follow up on the pediatric death. And, and you're on, um, if they're surveillance. I filed a video and I'm a UCLA pediatric specialist. Um, this is just an end of one, but February 25th, I filed a VAERS report on a seven-year-old patient who had a cardiac arrest following his first um, Pfizer vaccination. Uh, it was about 30, <clears throat> 30 hours after he got the vaccine. Um, I didn't receive any follow-up about it. Um, the patient died about eight days later. I submitted another email offering to update the you know, the report with the death of the patient. Uh, it's been two weeks now. I still haven't heard anything. So I'm wondering if there's... Keep going. No, no, keep going. More extensive based surveillance for cases like this. You got to hear and I would response. think that if the hear death of a seven-year-old following the vaccine is not, you know, meriting uh, follow-up, either the system is totally overwhelmed or there's there's something wrong with the reporting system. I, I want to yeah. play you some of the responses to, to this. Yeah, and then you can email us about something. Well, details of each ahead. of them uh, uh, in, in many cases. Be followed up within. Um, does that? Yeah, and then you can email us. Um, but um, does that does that sound right, Steve? Yeah, but they should be followed up within within a matter of days. Actually, so we'll so just just drop me an email. Um, or rich, and then we'll follow. We'll send it to our surveillance group. That's our surveillance to make sure that it, it didn't. I got it. <laughs> Any event, he goes on to say, "I uh, maybe something fell through the cracks." And, and Bemery goes, "Yes, something fell through the cracks." And you should be shitting yourself because of it. You should be falling on your sword. You should be mortified that that could happen. Even instead, it's like, eh, "Well, we get we'll get around to it." They usually get around quicker. And you send me an email, and we'll we'll get to it. It's insane. It's insane. No, it's not. a seven-year-old kid goes into cardiac arrest. I mean that that. You should have a, like a team on the ground within 24 hours, right? I, 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 look, look. There's no question. The vaccines are the, the mRNAs. That is, uh, you know, they're cardiotoxic to some people. They cause autoimmune responses in some people. Um, you know, I think we're going to be arguing for a long time about how many people that is and the mechanism of action. I think you know, you you make a case that it's the spike. You know, sort of un. You know, overproduction of the spike. I, I think there, there's there's a yeah. legitimate argument out there that it maybe is the lipid nanoparticle, that that may have something to do with it yeah. also, that that yep. you know that yep. that, 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 the, that they really don't know exactly what the um 
you know, perturbations that that may cause I, in I, people, especially with repeated I, injection. I, I'm aware. We, we, we cover this stuff a lot here, but I, I'm telling you, the more I zero in on it, the more the spike protein looks like the culprit, which is why one of the questions I have is, there are whole virus vaccines out there like Covaxin. Why aren't we doing other vaccines except for the ones that creates the pathogenic protein? Why don't we offer something else? If the vaccine is so important, which again, I don't understand that for an illness that has A, no risk to young people, B, good treatments. We have Paxlovid, we have Monocle, we have all kinds of stuff. And what are we doing? Why are we doing that? And, and let me just say, let me just add one little wrinkle on this. I'm so conflicted. You said earlier about the cost of, uh, you know, phase three trials and whatnot. And look, as an internist, guess what we do? We try to increase longevity and treat medical illnesses with medicine. That's what we do. And we rely on the drug companies. And they're mostly been an incredibly good partner in all this. And, and it's very, and I, I actually, I wonder if there's a difference between the U.S. and the and the European companies, but that's something you can address. But it, it it's very hurtful to me. It's, it, it kills me to have to, take aim at them because we need them and we need their money for the phase three trials and we we've been great partners all these all these years and now what what's going on it feels to me like the government has adulterated so much of this that that's what it feels like to me i mean honestly i think the companies are what they've always been um uh you know yeah. look look back 30 years right when they were able not just to hand out pens but they would take you guys to uh you know, they take you to Aspen for a week, right? Um, and you know, and the, and and basically, there was semi-open bribery for prescriptions. That's kind of been pushed aside now. So, no, I, I don't think the companies are better or worse than they've been. I mean, Purdue Pharma, you know, that company came around in the in the in the nineteen nineties. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was when it really started. Thalidomide, that drug is sixty years old. The, the companies have always been problematic actors. The difference, again, specifically with the vaccines, is that all the other safeguards are gone. Um, right. And and you know, uh, and and here it's very interesting. You mentioned that, that, like the potential of Covaxin or whole virus vaccines. It's it's clear that the U.S. government wanted the mRNAs. Okay, there was a very the NIH was in business, in literal business with Moderna, okay? And Pfizer's a U.S. company, and, uh, you know, and, and and there was this idea, sort of, that they were the national champions. Uh, you know, AstraZeneca, which had a DNA vaccine, that's an English company. Uh, you know, of course, all the other vaccines, really, the inactivated virus vaccines, those were Chinese and Indian. The Russians had their own uh, vaccine, but the mRNAs were really American vaccines, even though BioNTech was a German company, and and there was an idea that they were going to be our national champions. Now, one thing drug companies don't like to do, they'll do it on occasion, but they don't like to do is they don't like to run head-to-head -head trials, right, where you compare one drug against another noticed, drug to I've see which that. one. I've noticed. You noticed yeah. that, right? The U.S. Yeah. actually, when it came to COVID, had a unique opportunity, essentially, to force the companies into one big trial. Because what they could have said was, we're not going to pay for any vaccine that isn't tested in, let's say, a six-way clinical trial that would include the Johnson Johnson, that might include Novavax, that might include, uh, you know, an inactivated virus vaccine. Let's do this. Let's get a head-to-head-to-head -to -head -to -head trial. We didn't do that. And I think the reason was primarily speed, but it was also that the U.S. really wanted the mRNA vaccines. And I don't know if you remember, you know, you probably remember, you, you may not have, you probably do remember, there was this idea, we're going to swap, it's, it's software, mRNA is the software of life, we're going to be able yeah. to swap out yeah. whenever there's a new yeah. variant, we'll be able to introduce a new right. vaccine within weeks, 
And this is such right. a revolutionary technology. This is going to change medicine. And those, yeah. the worst thing that could have happened was what did happen, which is November 2020. You have these results that seem to show that this thing can really end COVID, that these vaccines can really end COVID, and people lost their minds over it. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did indeed. And then they were, if, uh, somebody showed me, a, a Jimmy Dore showed me a, about 30 different appearances by Peter Hotez on CNN. And it's, it's just, it's so sad to watch the distortions and the thinking and the backpedaling and the, dis- oh my God. I, at first I was like, okay, he changed his mind. Fine, I, I get it. And then it's like, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. You know, <laughs> it, it gets weird and and, and um, uh, patronizing. So, hmm, what I'm noticing right now is that there's spiraling on both sides, like things are getting weird in both directions. Have you noticed this? And that's why that's why I was anxious to talk to you. You've always been the nice core, and I went through your X X uh, thread this morning. I'm like, I want I want some I want some center data, and and I didn't find it there. I was uh, you were too busy writing about Pfizer and about Super Bowl ads, but but well, it, it's kind of getting upsetting that people are going you know nutty in both directions. I, I'm really glad to hear you say that because it does disturb me that you have people. Um, you know, there were so few of us early on who, uh, you know, who who stood up, you know, against the lockdowns, against, you know, against the school closures in 2020, all that stuff in 2020, and then who early on stood against the vaccines. And there, there are people who, to me, really didn't have loud voices, really didn't stand up against the consensus early on. And some of those people are now making just absurd claims about the vaccines, okay? And, and, and I guess yeah. I don't know if they it doesn't help they believe it. What's it, that? It doesn't help things. I think they. It doesn't it does help, not help I do, This this whole notion that people are lying. It's like I, I don't think people are lying. They're either they're either motivated in sort of their their change and their messaging, or they believe it. I, I you know I don't think it's lying. They don't they're like I wanted to deceive people. No. I, I think you're right. I hope you're right. But there's just no evidence that the vaccines have killed, you know, 17 million people, 20 million people. I mean, just right. look at global death counts and you can see this. By the way, I, I I don't think the vaccine should be on the market. I've said that for, you know, word of a year. I, I you know, early on, I thought maybe they had some utility in the in, in, in you know, in people over 70 uh, and maybe in people 50 to 70 who had serious chronic conditions. Certainly since the vaccine started failing in the summer of 2021, I have been among the most aggressive people saying these things don't work. Since Omicron came around in early 2022, I've said they should be pulled. And, so I, I think, and I we think have treatments. credentials. And we, what's that? Yeah, and we have treatment. And we have treatments. And we have treatments. We have a mild right. illness that's and right. we have it's, treatments if it goes bad. And so here's where I'm confused now. First of all, A, are there excess deaths in the world? I, 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 don't, I don't think anybody's agreed on that yet. So number one, is that the case? And number two, this is a more disturbing thing, which is people are tweeting, so 3,000 deaths this week from COVID. I'm like, what? How is that possible? I, you go walk into any right. hospital, there's no COVID patients. Walk in the ICU, no COVID patients. So it must be very elderly in, in the nursing homes or something. Well, why aren't they getting Paxlovid? Why aren't they getting treatment? What's going on here? Or is this just bullshit and they're dying of something else? Well, so it's very, it's a very, very interesting question. So, so yeah, just, uh, I mean, so this, so again, I, my credentials as somebody who's been on the forefront of MRNA skepticism are pretty good, Dr. Drew. And I don't think I can defend them. So, so, so here's what I would say. 
if you look at deaths in the U.S., for example, deaths are now about 10% higher than they were before COVID, okay? Some of that is deaths of despair, pretty clearly, especially in people under 50. There's more drug overdoses still. There's, uh, you know, there, there's some alcohol deaths. There's, you know, the U.S. is going in, in a bad direction in a lot of ways, and that's some of the deaths. However, Psychiatric. there's also some deaths. There's some deaths of people, you know, 65 and older, and it's a little hard to know what's driving that. As you say, it looks like, you know, if you, be if you believe the numbers, it's about 75 or 100,000 people are going to die of COVID this year, but nobody goes in the hospital. So what that suggests is, you know, maybe if you have two weeks to live, you're exceptionally vulnerable to getting a case of COVID, right. and that's what goes on your death right. certificate. But so maybe, right. maybe at like the very end of life, it's it's shortening people's lives a little bit and then then there's like so you subtract those you you know you say there's a hundred thousand deaths of despair extra and other deaths maybe there's a hundred thousand weird covid deaths that are happening in really elderly people and there's another hundred thousand deaths okay are some of those deaths vaccine injuries possibly that i i i, I I was i think the vaccine the best evidence the vaccines caused excess deaths actually came from europe in 2022 in late 2022 they vaccinated a lot of people and they didn't have much covid and they had a bump not a huge bump but a real bump in deaths okay it didn't last you know it lasted about four months and then it went away and so to me the temporal relationship there is pretty telling but that was you know we're not talking about millions of deaths we're talking about tens of thousands of deaths so so is it possible that the vaccines have done some damage where they're killing, I don't know, 50, 100,000 people a year in the U.S.? I, I, I don't, it's, it's, to me, that is possible, but the data is just way too dirty to, 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 yeah. to, to know. And when I say, oh, there's absolutely no way they killed 17 million people, it's absolutely impossible. People say, well, how many did they kill? And I say, look, I know the vaccines killed some people because- you know, if you look at Qatar, for example, or South Korea, they've done autopsies where they directly link the vaccines to deaths in young people. Okay, so so we know yeah. the vaccines killed some people. But if you're going to ask me, is it a thousand or is it a million? I truly don't know, and I'm yeah. not going to guess. Okay, that that that's where I'm at, uh, and and, uh, and I, the one thing that bothers me though, it it wasn't eight. It's not eight. It's it's way more than oh, the no. Vioxx story, and that was a that was an international scandal. Eight, so whatever. Uh, the other thing that's happening on the other side is I'm seeing all this data on saving children's lives and saving pregnant women's life. And every time I read those stories, two things. I don't know if you've read those those papers. Two things. It's always data from 2020 forward, which yeah, I I believe it was very effective. I do I believe it worked at the beginning. I don't think it's doing anything right now. So uh, why are we still talking about what happened three years ago? Number one, and um, oh damn, what was the other part of that for me? Uh, well, anyway, to, to address that, I'll, it'll okay. come to me while you're addressing. I, I know, it. I, yeah. I totally agree. With you. you know, here's another. You raise a really good point, which. So let's, I agree, the vaccines in 2021, when they, you know, when they briefly actually worked, they did save some lives. The problem mm -hmm. is the lives they saved were almost exclusively elderly people, right? Very elderly, very yep. sick people. So the same people who die yep. from COVID now, okay? The people who seem to be the most injured by the vaccines, at least proportionally, are young people, 
So once again, right. you have a problem where the where the the, the 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 good the vaccines may do is not on the people they may injure. And instead of being honest about that, and instead of saying to people under 50, you know what, you can wait. You don't necessarily have to ever get this vaccine. And if this vaccine had been rolled out properly, that is, if in early 2021, we had said, we're going to give this to people 65 and up, you know, we're going to prioritize people 75 and up, everyone else, except if you're an incredibly high risk from COVID because you weigh, you know, 500 pounds, you don't have to take this. We're going to get more safety data. And then we're going to tell you, I believe the vaccines probably never would have been given to people under 50. Okay. So, there, so there's, you an, have there's, this a, there's another trick. Yes, we have this problem. Uh, but I remember the other trick I wanted to point out to you, which is that uh, I saw this in the pregnancy data, which is it, between the vaccine and the unvaccinated, there was higher hospitalization in the unvaccinated group. Okay. Nowhere do they document that the hospitalizations were due to COVID. Nowhere. So you have an increase in hospitalization. Who knows what is in there? Because you don't get hospitalized for COVID. I can't say that enough. It doesn't happen. And so I knew immediately that whatever they're being hospitalized for, it wasn't COVID. And I raised that with people like, oh, come on. You think they're going to put that data in? Find me where in the study it says they were hospitalized for COVID. It's not there. It doesn't happen. You're correct. And so, I mean, but this is the problem. The problem of this age issue is the problem. This is the original sin of COVID, okay? That in yep. 2020, yep. in March 2020, they, they, and in this case, there is a real they, it's the public health establishment, it's the WHO, it's, you know, it's, it's Bill Gates. They wanted lockdowns, okay? They were desperate for lockdowns and they knew that if they were honest and said, look, you know, if you're under 50 and you're not in terrible health, like this, this is not going to kill you, right? It, it, they wouldn't say that. And that set the stage for everything that followed, including the lies about the vaccines. And here's, here's the problem. Like people know it now, right? So nobody got the, nobody got the 2022 booster and less than nobody got the booster last fall. So they've done real, they again, but it really is, there's a they, They've done real damage to public health, not just in the United States, but I think worldwide. Well, isn't it interesting that it's the same playbook? We keep hearing that this is the HIV playbook. And on that playbook, which I was executing in the 80s, you were not allowed to say that it was limited to risk populations. You had to say for 10 years, we said everybody, everybody is going to get this thing. And in Africa, it was we were watching it you know, move, move around in heterosexual. And so we had genuine fear it was going to happen. But there was an absolute party line. You do not mention the, the risk populations. Wasn't it interesting that ultimately in the U.S., it was really gay men said, we're not being helped by this. We're the ones at risk yeah. here. You should target right. us to, you know, to encourage healthier behaviors. Well, they, they almost made the same mistake with monkeypox. It, it almost was all over again. Like, you, I, like there, right. there are there, you know, certain infections infect certain kinds of people with certain kinds of conditions. That's medicine. That's what medicine is. Things happen to old people that don't happen to young people. Things happen to pediatric populations that don't happen to adult populations. It's just medicine. And, we, and we're in such a weird state right now that we're not even allowed to talk, to discuss the, the biological human reality. I have to take a break, Alex. I, I'm, I'm way over the, this break time I have to do, but we're going to talk some more. Alex Berenson with me. Follow him on X. Alex Berenson will be right back after this. 
Are you one of the millions of American women and men dealing with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in your family? Start 2024 with a real solution that delivers results without the harsh side effects or unwanted chemicals and no need for prescription. Provia uses a safe natural ingredient, Procapil, to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and hair loss. By supporting healthy scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb. Right now, new customers save over 50% plus free shipping. Every introductory package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use, plus the Provia Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Don't wait. Order now to save an extra 10% and get free shipping at ProviaHair.com forward slash Drew. That's P-R-O-V-I-A-H-A-I-R, ProviaHair.com slash D-R-E-W. As a physician, I am deeply concerned about efforts to erode the doctor-patient relationship. And as medical freedom continues to come under assault, I'm on a mission to empower you to be able to take care of yourselves and your family the way you want to. I urge you to get this medical emergency kit from The Wellness Company. It contains essential prescription medication you should really always have on hand. Here's Dr. Peter McCullough, Chief Scientific Officer. It's a very broad and diverse medical kit. can handle everything from a urinary tract infection, a fungal infection, a bronchitis. People can, you know, via telemedicine, uh, get their questions answered and get on the right track. But it's basically an at-home formula. Yep. For the first time, people, instead yep. of being... Uh, uh, held captive by an urgent care or by a doctor's office or an ER, they can actually do this themselves at home. Save yourself the weight and the hassle and feel better faster. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off. That is drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off the medical emergency kit. Welcome back. Alex Berenson is my guest. Uh, Alex, go ahead and uh, let's get him back in here so I can finish up our conversation. I interrupted you. You were trying to say something at the end there. Do you recall what? I uh, I do not. I, you went to the hair ad and I thought to myself, that's one problem I don't have. <laughs> that's good. We, we should have a barber uh, <laughs> that we send out. Oh, goodness. Uh, okay. So uh, it's just all so, I'm so conflicted in my feelings. I've, I have the same kind of conflicted feelings about the pharmaceutical companies who have been you know, wonderful sources of life-saving medication that just is the case. By the way, do you answer my question? Is is there any difference between U.S. and and uh, uh, European com pharma companies? I, I don't think so. I mean, frankly, the U.S. is mm -hmm. the biggest market for all these companies, right? And by far the most profitable. So they 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 all play the same games. Um, uh, you know, it's funny because Merck again. Merck was considered the company, right? It was considered the most scientifically adept, the most serious. Um, and then they went out with Vioxx and, uh, you know, sold a drug that was that was pretty problematic. And, you know, and they, yeah. they all have the same incentives, I think, unfortunately. And so COVID is no longer creating hospitalization in spite of this continued sort of chanting that it does. You know, I, I challenge people to go in hospitals and find COVID cases. And we have good treatments. We have Paxivid. We have monopiravir is a third one coming. And these treatments really, really, really work. And you can argue about early treatment, fine. Uh, most people don't need any treatment. That's the fact. The vast majority of people don't need any treatment. And while Paxivid has only been shown in the 65-plus population, I've seen it used in younger populations, it still works. And, you know, are there, are there risks with it? 
Rebound seems to be the only risk and a bad taste in the mouth. But but the point is, no one's going to the hospital. There's no reason for it. And so this this notion that we're saving people from severe COVID flies in the face of the, the effective treatments that the pharmaceutical companies have come up with. Yes, I, I to totally agree with that. Um, I, you know, again, I think the world has moved past COVID. It's, you know, it's funny with my Substack, right, with Unreported Truths. I have this audience of people that's very interested in COVID. I'm still interested mm -hmm. in COVID and in the vaccines in some ways. But you know, I, people, as we as we are in our fourth year of this, I'm I. It's not all I write about. I write about lots of other things that are of interest to me now. Um, you know, uh, drugs in general. So I, I mean, illicit drugs and sort of the U.S. attitude towards those. The baby bust is something I've been writing about, and and you know, I think is very interesting. Um, uh, but but there are. The, the world has sort of moved past COVID aside from uh, uh, some hardliners who really want to say the vaccines, you know, have killed millions and millions of people mm -hmm. on very little evidence. And then this group of sort of long COVIDians who basically don't want to ever work again and thought that COVID was going to be their ticket to that and are very frustrated that they're not. I will, I, I, I will say, I think there is one very, very big issue going forward, or two issues. Um, one is that the mRNA platform is clearly problematic and cannot be moved into, you know, for example, a flu vaccine or an RSV vaccine where it's, be it's being trialed in both of those illnesses without really good testing long-term safety data. Mm -hmm. um, we failed to do that with COVID. We don't know how dangerous the mRNA platform is going forward. Um, and how it, dangerous it may be upon long-term use. And again, if the, if the issue, for example, is that is that this this fat envelope that the mRNA is delivered in is problematic, then then the, your total load of vaccine is going to make a difference. So, in other words, if I've had four COVID shots and five RSV shots, that's nine shots in terms of side effect, right? So, so that's mm -hmm. something that I think the regulators really need to think about. They need to they need to clamp down on this platform going forward. And um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they do that because I think politically it's a little difficult for them to admit um, doing that. It means sort of admitting that they rushed the COVID jabs. And then the second I mean, issue, of course, they did. Is of pending. course, they rushed it. Of course, oh, well, they rushed. Yes. Of course, they did. But but knowing you rushed it and admitting <laughs> and you it was rushed a good it idea. It was a good idea um, to rush it. I thought it was the right thing to do. Uh, now do well, the proper research. That's all. Now do the proper research. The second issue yeah. is pandemic preparedness. And mm. my somewhat radical position on this is we should not have any pandemic preparedness. I, I think it's pretty clear that pandemic preparedness probably caused COVID. And if we continue to mess around in caves in China, and if we continue to mess around with gain of function um, in, you know, in the quest to see how dangerous we can make things, there is only downside to this. I think a lot of virology is essentially out of control. And I think these folks are too sort of deep in their own heads and too financially incented to admit that. And from my point of view, pandemic preparedness should consist of having a bunch of gloves and masks, even though masks don't really work. They make people happy. And, you know, maybe doing basic research into antivirals. But the, but, but the idea that we should be playing around with these viruses, and by playing around, again, I also include the basic, let's go into a cave where nobody's going to go 
and see if we can find a bat that has some nasty virus. I think that's a mistake too. I think it should all stop. I think it should, just, it should be outlawed by international treaty as a crime against humanity. And I think, you know, the, the idea that the WHO and the Sam Bankman frees the world and Bill Gates are trying to encourage this and claiming, oh, we need to get in front of the next pandemic. Um, you know, Dr. Drew, the truth is, COVID almost certainly came out of a lab. If you don't count COVID, we haven't had a serious respiratory virus pandemic since 1918. I think I like our odds a lot better with no preparedness than preparedness. Uh, H1N was pretty bad. I had the pleasure of having that illness too. And the, that was a severely toxic illness and it killed 300,000 people. And, you know, it was, it was for real. It came and went. I mean, it came I, and went because we they British. made the, because the Obama administration didn't tell anybody about it, and that was my point. In the in as the, as COVID was unrolling, I said, "Hey, everybody, we just had one ten years ago. It was brutal. It killed a lot of people, and you don't even know it happened. And now we're going to go from not knowing it's going on to ruining our lives over this, and the outcomes are predictable. You mentioned the baby bust, and you talked about deaths of despair." Super, a hundred percent. I saw it coming. I saw it coming, and that is the result of what we did with COVID. Hang on, Susan, you're trying to talk to me. I, I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah, okay. Um, um, that's no, the but, result but, but of these, if we if we allow these nitwits to have like a five or ten billion dollar year kitty to you know prepare for the next pandemic, there's no question in my mind we're going to get one if we if we let that happen. <laughs> it will leak from another that's land. A, it just will. Yeah, it's interesting. But you, you mentioned the baby bus. I want to talk about two of these sort of uh, untoward consequences. Uh, one is the, the baby thing. And, I, and since you're writing about that, I'm going to have you talk about that a little bit. But the other thing is I feel like medical journals have been adulterated in some strange way. It, it's just odd. Uh, the, the way things are being constructed, the things that are being published, I, it, I, I don't know if you've done any thinking in, in that zone. I, I, I think about some of the studies that weren't being published and some of them were great and excellent and finally got studied and should have created more in that direction, but didn't. And it's very, very odd. I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct. This, this hit me really hard in 2020, in the fall of 2020, because there was a study that some Danish researchers had done about masks, um, a very good study, um, uh, randomized controlled study, um, where they'd sent people masks. You know, this was before universal masking was happening, but COVID was happening. This was the summer of 2020 in Denmark. And um, and it essentially had a null result. It showed that masks could not, you know, didn't seem to work uh, against COVID infection. And they had a terrible time getting it published. Eventually, I think they got it well, published. Wait, it, it wasn't, you forget, you forget. You, you weren't on this side of that. On the New England Journal had agreed and it was waiting for it and it telegraphed that they were going to publish it. And then all of a sudden they weren't. And then Jamis announced they're picking it up right, yep, and then they weren't. Eventually it was Annals of Internal Medicine. Annals of Internal yep. Medicine finally published it. And the same yep. thing with the Bangladesh study. Same thing. Yep. yep. They, could, they couldn't get it in the Lancet. They couldn't get it in any JM. Eventually the, the Annals of Internal Medicine, to its credit, published it. But it took them four yep. months. Uh, yeah, it was it was bad. And there, there's another mask study that came out in 2022 that that also showed a failure that I hadn't even heard of because it was you know suppressed is the wrong word. It did get published, but it got no attention. And you're right. I mean, the 
Look, I've talked to physicians about this. The, the, the peer review process, uh, when you have a politicized profession, peer review is politicized. And so mm. even if the study is very good and can't really be challenged in a, uh, you know, in a, in a scientific, for scientific reasons, even if the epidemiology is good and no one can question, you know, the, the mouse models that they used or whatever, it will get slow walked or possibly not published at all if the conclusion is not what people want to hear. Yeah. And, and in your book in Pandemia, does this all get reviewed if people want to dig into the book? I mean, the, the book, so it's funny, the book came out in December, 2021. Um, and so, you know, it, it, in some ways, everything, nothing much has changed since then. It's really sad. I, I would say the vaccines right. look worse now than they did then. But, um, and I'm back on Twitter. I was off Twitter at that time. Um, I'd been banned and then I sued Twitter and forced it to let me back on. That was before Elon took over, which by the way, was something else the media absolutely refused to cover. Um, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, but disappointingly. But so it's in pandemia. Um, it's funny. This is the longest I have gone without writing a book length work uh, in about in almost 20 years as a writer. I, you know, when I worked at the New York Times, I wrote fiction. Uh, that sounds weird, but I wrote, I wrote some novels in the second half of my career. And then I wrote more novels. And then I wrote, uh, you know, a, a book about cannabis that we've talked about. And then I wrote Pandemia. And since 2021, I've only been writing unreported truths. It's funny. I work harder for myself now than I ever did for the New York Times. I write four times a week, basically every week, because I have this pretty large audience and I feel they, you know, they're paying me and they want me to write, but it doesn't give me the energy or the space to write a book. Uh, and I do mm -hmm. think there's a need for another book about the pandemic and about the you know total failure, long-term failure of the mRNA platform that we have that we seem to be seeing. Um, and I just it's like I need a second brain, or I need to tell the people on Substack <laughs> on unreported truths, hey, give me six months, let me work on a book because it's an important book. Some someone needs to put together all the excesses of the government and the silencing, all the stuff that hopefully comes out in Biden versus Missouri. So, because that is really the sort of egregious aspect of the whole pandemic, when people were harmed by our government and silence and speech was attacked. It just was. It's a dark chapter that needs to be looked at. You don't want to because they were they were more than complicit. They were active in it. Mm. But I mean, we we need to get it get it out there though, so people can really look at what happened. Because I, I don't think that um, I don't think people really people everything's so siloed. I don't, I don't think they really know how bad it got, and how and how and what what extraordinary people were harmed and lost jobs, and you know, really really high level professionals of extraordinary credentials with spotless records. These were their targets. Uh, and that that needs to be that needs to be brought out. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And the fact that they're mostly right. Do you have you have you had to adjust course on anything? What what have you gotten wrong? Because I think of your cannabis thing. It's like, hey, you pretty much got all that all right. Pandemic, pretty much got all that all right. So where do you get things wrong? So where, so what I got wrong? Uh, the most notable thing I got wrong was in and and I don't count by the way saying oh you know a hundred thousand people might die in you know in march 2020 i mean nobody said a million people but beyond the fact that the county you know is a cocktail but but nobody nobody was putting out numbers nobody 
we also nobody thought we would have a single count for three years, right? That's not how we count the flu or anything else, right? We we start the clock again each year, um, and so uh, so not counting that, I got one thing I got wrong was I had been reading about sort of cross immunity in summer 2020, and I did think it was possible that mm. um, you know that maybe 80 percent of the population wouldn't get infected with COVID. That maybe that mm-hmm. you know because you saw these sort of bursts in whether it was in New York or whether it was in uh, Arizona, where you, you know you had very big spikes and then they passed very quickly um, sort of on their own. But that turned out to be wrong. Um, everyone wound up getting infected with COVID. Uh, so I was wrong about that. Um, you know, that that's the main, that's the number one thing I got wrong. I'm trying to think of something I got wrong with the vaccines. Um, you were you were focused on you a lot know, of Israeli a, data. Did that remember remember that you were you were reporting a lot of Israeli data before anybody over here heard it, and some of that got got a little sideways, didn't it? Uh, no. What I would say was, so what happened was, it, it, and this is something that also doesn't get talked about in retrospect, although also at the time, when you give people the first shot, there's this clear suppression of immunity. So. Yeah. The very worst spike of COVID in the U.S., in the U.K., in Israel too, actually, um, came in the winter of 2021, in January 2021, when people were getting their first COVID shot. And in part, actually, that's because of something we were talking about off air, where people would go, uh, the just the opening of a nursing home to give people shots meant that a protected population was suddenly made vulnerable. Right. And so right. some of those people got COVID for environmental reasons, but there was also a spike that in those first couple of weeks, which the vaccine proponents never admitted. And they also didn't admit that when you're looking at a vaccine that only a quote unquote vaccine that only works for six months, if it has negative effectiveness the first two weeks, you you know, that's a real negative and you have to count that. Um, but so there was a spike. And then you had what I called in pandemia and what I've called ever since the happy vaccine valley. So for one to six months after that first shot and, you know, and, and, and zero to six months after the second shot, you actually have vaccine effectiveness, right? Yeah. And that's, that yeah. was the spring and summer of 2021. That's when the vaccines, yeah. made, you know, they saved some lives. That's when they thought, you know, people actually thought we can make COVID go away. Mm. And then the vaccine stopped yeah. working, okay? They create this crazy, unnaturally high level of antibodies, those antibodies go away, the vaccines stop working. And so there was a period in the spring of 2021 when I thought, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe vaccines actually work. This is not going to look very good for me if, if they work. And what I had to tell myself, which turned out to be correct, was we don't have the data. We didn't do studies for long enough. We don't know. And this seems very strange to me that you're going to be able to keep this incredibly high level of antibodies for long enough to matter. And that turned out actually to be right. But when people, just like you said a few minutes ago, when people run these studies claiming that a lot of lives were saved, they always talk about 2021. That's the only period. That's the only period when you can say I was wrong. Because if you look at the totality of the last three years, I was not wrong. And they censored all the people that knew what the hell was going on. So we we didn't we couldn't get any answers because they censored every doctor and you 
and anybody who had common sense. Sorry, Susan, I had angry. to pile on. Susan is still angry. So it started vaccinating babies. Like what? Yeah, well, it's still still vaccinating babies, and it's it's very hard to understand why, based on current data, not old data. I get it. There were children that died. I get it. There was some benefit. The pedi it's a pediatric decision, by the yeah, way. Yeah, for old people. The other thing I realized, Alex, is that most of these public health officials are pediatricians, and they're trying to make decisions about adult medicine. And that I don't make. I can't make decisions about kids. I, I don't, especially young kids. I don't know how to do that. They have a different risk tolerance. They're a very different way of looking at things. Yeah, and we want to talk about censorship. I go, I go with further Alex. than that. Okay. What? What? what I, and I know we're short on time. I would say that you become a public health doctor because you want. I think so. I think a lot of them have a hero complex. Okay, you know, I'm mm -hmm. going to save society. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show these people, you know, the way out. They're going to listen to me. And you know, it, there's nothing more dangerous than somebody who thinks they're doing something that you don't want them to do to you for your own good. And uh, social and that is, ills, you know, social and, evil, social evil is always done in the name of good. I'll remind everyone that Robespierre. Robespierre's committee was called the Committee for Public Safety. So there yep. you go, right. Susan. What do you What do you want to ask about there? What's going on with Alex's lawsuit and censorship? Did you guys talk about that? A little bit. We did go not. Um, but so uh, so I've sued. You know, I sued Twitter, um, and uh, that was in 2022. People said, "Oh, he, this is a dumb lawsuit. He can't possibly get past the motion to dismiss. It's going to get thrown out." Guess what? It survived the motion to dismiss. Um, I settled with Twitter. Uh, I got put back on Twitter. I got documents from Twitter showing that uh, Scott Gottlieb, who was formerly the head of the FDA and was a Pfizer board member, was campaigning for my removal. And then Andy Slavitt, who was a senior White House official, the senior advisor to the COVID response, when he was at the White House and afterwards was campaigning for my removal from Twitter, and ultimately, you know, they forced Twitter to remove me. I've now sued, um, I've sued Slavitt, I've sued Gottlieb, I've sued Albert Borla, who's the chairman of Pfizer, and I've sued the Biden administration over that unconstitutional, um, you know, it's a violation of my First Amendment rights. It's a public-private conspiracy called the 1985-3 conspiracy. Um, and, uh, and I've sued the private defendants in that case for tortious interference, in other words, for violating my contract with Twitter. The case is in federal court in New York City, and it's sort of on hold right now. We've filed some motions. The defendants have filed some motions. The judge, and the judge will do what the judge will do. I, I hope, obviously, she'll rule in our favor. The judge appears to be waiting for Missouri v. Biden and a second important Supreme Court case called NRA v. Volo, um, which which is about how uh, it's another case about how much um, in this case New York State officials can pressure uh, private companies to uh, to to try to get an outcome they want. So in, in the NRA v Volo case, the state of New York tried essentially to get insurance companies to drop the NRA as a defendant because it didn't like the NRA. Mm. And the Second Circuit, mm. um, which includes New York State. Which the federal, you know, the federal circuit that includes New York State said that's okay. Um, that case has now been appealed to the Supreme Court. I think it should be overturned. Um, believe it or not, the ACLU actually thinks it should be overturned uh, because you know if the state of New York can do that to the NRA. Maybe the state of Texas will do that to Planned Parenthood. Um, you know, right. so so 
So when those two cases are decided, when Missouri v. Biden, which is obviously the big free speech case, is decided, and NRA v. Volo, which you know is more about again state power and trying to dis you know disempower political views you don't like. When those two cases are decided, I expect we'll get a decision in Berenson v. Biden. It could come before, but that's sort of what my lawyer and I, uh, you know, are expecting at this point. Please come back when that comes through. I, I can't I'm wait right. to hear how that. I'm so proud of you. And, and then Caleb, you have flashed a question up there. I didn't much sure I caught it. Yeah, I'm just curious about Alex because a lot of people go on this journey and they kind of start, or at least recently, have started with looking, you know, suspiciously at mRNA, and then they've gone to the next step, which is to look suspiciously at all vaccines and all vaccine science. Have you crossed over that bridge? Are you anywhere on that bridge right now? I I have not, and and a lot of my readers want me to, and my feeling about it is life is too short. Um, uh, you know, and it's one thing people always say, oh, you know, or people on the left say he's an anti-vaxxer. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. My kids have all been vaccinated, including they've some of them have been vaccinated since, you know, I started raising questions about the mRNAs. I'm an mRNA skeptic. I'm a pharmaceutical industry skeptic. I frankly think we should probably end vaccine immunity, certainly for newer vaccines, um, because, you know, it's no longer... These are totally different products than they were in 1986 when the vaccine immunity was given. But I am not an anti-vaxxer. And, and honestly, there are so many people fighting on that issue and positions are so entrenched. I, I, like to, I like to investigate stuff where I think I can actually find new facts and make a difference. And I don't see... Mm -hmm how I could possibly do that in this case. So I've avoided it. And, and, um, and, and as and I the say- The big complaint is, yeah. is check, checks and balances. That's the big complaint, that there's no checks that's with the- that, That's, that's and that's, that, to me, that was RFK's position too. It's your position, makes sense to me. And I'm not anti-vax either, and I will never be, because I've helped people with vaccines. I've seen it, I know how this works. Uh, but I would like some- some sanity in the system, some balances. Uh, the, the immunity where it comes in always, I and mean, we have homelessness because of qualified immunity in, in, in uh, our, our, our public officials because you know, they can let people die on our streets and not, doesn't mean none of them and eight are dying every day in LA County. No county officials are being held accountable because they can't be. So that's a problem. So Yes, I mean, I, right, you well, know, I'll, we have a, sorry. Oh, finish your thought. I'm sorry. We have this little delay here that makes it look like you know, we're interrupting we have, each other. But we, have a, we have a very robust drug discovery system in this country, despite the fact that the companies don't have liability protection for drugs. They don't need liability protection, or they certainly don't need complete liability protection for vaccines, especially these vaccines that work in totally different ways and that are far, far from 100% effective. These should be regulated as drug products, in my opinion. What I was always led to believe, and I guess this is wrong, was, well, you know, these vaccines are law. They lose, they can't get any money. The vaccines are not a way to make money. So they have to be protected or they never do the research in the vaccine. That's turning out to not be true. And you, that you, in 1986, that was true. That's not true of the HP. I mean, Gardasil was a multi-billion dollar product. The, uh, you know, the COVID vaccines, Pfizer made tens of billions of dollars on. No. The, the, yeah, when it was when it was we're going to have eggs, you know, and uh, and and the flu vaccine, and we're going to sell it for three bucks, then it was actually a problem. But it, it's just a totally different landscape around new vaccines. 
Alex, I'm going to let you go. You've been very kind with your time and your thoughts, and always great to see you again and come back here. Best of luck with this suit. I can't wait to see you. Go get the book. Support Alex by getting the book. And yeah. Then, and it's pandemia and, the under, and, and the pandemia. Unreported truth. And the subject. I will, uh, I'll talk and to you subtext. soon, Dr. Drew. Thank All right, you. Doctor, take care of yourself. You betcha. Uh, we have a, a happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, indeed. We have a, <laughs> we have a second guest. He was one of our first guests on that was censored. Oh, is that when right? his book was taken off of Amazon right at the very beginning of the pandemic, and we got a hold of him, and you know we were doing dose of Dr. Drew, and. Um, I remember having him and he's like, I got to do it before my kids come home. And he was like. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there being like a white wall behind him. Yeah. Right? And, he he would, like, and then yeah. you'd hear the kids and he's like, oh, I got to go now. <laughs> That's really funny. So yeah. And get it. He's got a bunch of other. But books. he got, I think he got censored from Twitter after that. And then he, you know, for being rational and, and asking questions, you know, it's just ridiculous. Anyways, sorry. Yeah. Uh, did we address everything you wanted to address, Susan? Is that, was there Yeah. I wanted to hear about his suit. Okay. Was that what you were pointing out on the phone or yep. something? Okay, I, you got to come right I know, here honey. Stuff, I know, so. I texted you, but you just didn't get the memo. Uh, so. Got it. So uh, we have another guest, uh, and this is going to be an, an, a complete change of topic. We're just doing this as a little add-on here for those of us in California in particular. Uh, yeah, my ballot is right here. I brought my, and I, I do my mail-in ballot. I know there's all kinds of consternation about that. But uh, Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, as I remember how Jarvis was Prop 13, if I remember right. Susan Shelley, uh, also a member of the editorial board for the Southern California News Group. Uh, you can find her on X at, at Susan underscore Shelley, and Shelley is S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. Uh, and uh, SusanShelley.com is where you can find more. Please welcome Susan. Hey, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I want you to know you're going to have to do some uh, convincing of me, which is a, an opportunity for you, because I read Prop 1. We're talking about homelessness, for those of you not in California. And I read Prop 1. I thought, well, it's not perfect, but it's something. And it's going in the right direction, at least, in terms of treating the these conditions that are creating homelessness. It's the first time you were able to put homelessness and mental health on the same printed anything you're just not allowed to put those two things together where and that's gotten people are now see through all that and realize how insane that is but why is prop one not a good idea well for several reasons first it's 6.38 billion dollars of borrowed money which is 12 billion when the taxpayers finish paying it back in 30 years and what does it buy it buys 6800 treatment beds and about 4300 housing units so if you just do the math, that's an awful lot of money for not as much benefit as you would expect for the kind of spending commitment let, let, that that is. Let me is. ask. I, I want to ask. Is They keep saying beds, I, and I couldn't find anything in the – in fact, this is what concerned me – in the in the documents that voters get that describe what these beds are going to provide. Are they psychiatric beds? Are they halfway houses? Is this just more places for poor social workers to do things they're not trained to do? Where and where who's gonna who's gonna pay for the doctors and nurses and policies and procedures and things we require in California to run a hospital? Is any of that in there? Well, you have put your finger right on it. First of all, they're not hospitals. They're in the category of housing, which means they're under housing first, which means no one can be required to be in treatment to receive the housing or the bed or anything. It's the community care model. It's not hospitals. The governor could ask for an IMD waiver 
an IMD exclusion waiver, which I know you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. That's the part mm -hmm. of Medicaid that says you can't be reimbursed. No federal matching funds for mental health care in a facility with more than 16 beds. So we could get a waiver from that and we could spend $6 billion building hospital facilities and they won't do that. So they're going to build community facilities unspecified. They are borrowing the money. It's a blank check. The state will decide later what they're going to build. And as far as operating this, now here's the, here's the part that I think will persuade you. It is robbing money from the county mental health services funding. It is taking, it's taking that money from the millionaire's tax that passed in 2004, which was supposed to fund county mental health services, additional and new and innovative services, not just replace the existing innovative. budget. I didn't say it was going well. I just... But what they're doing is they're taking the funding from it. So they take it in four different ways. The first way is that under the Mental Health Services Act, the state would get 5% and the counties would get 95%. The state doubles its take under Prop 1 to 10%. And of the remaining funds that the counties have, they're required to spend 30% on housing programs, which is, we can talk about what those are in a second, but when you spend money on housing, you lose the federal matching funds. So that's the third right. way that they're losing money is they lose the federal matching funds. And the fourth way is that whatever places, that's what the legislative analyst called them, places, unspecified places for treatment, the state builds with the borrowed money, the counties are responsible for funding the operations. So the first thing that's going to happen if this passes in March is in November, the counties are going to start putting tax increases on the ballot and saying, we don't have enough money for suicide prevention programs right, because we have to spend it on all of this. So that's that's really what's wrong I, with it. It 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 would not be that much money to build hospitals and run them. It really wouldn't. Uh, and and I am just keep over and over telling these officials they are running hospitals without doctors and nurses. Social workers are not trained to do this work. They can't even assess because they're not medical whether there are medical needs or psychiatric needs to a certain extent. They are wonderful at what they do, but it is literally like asking a physical therapist to do orthopedic surgery. It's not, they're wonderful, and it is not what they are trained to do. And this is an insanity. This is an insanity. And I would love to hold these officials responsible for the deaths that, that are going on eight a day in LA County in particular. This to me is, is just unconscionable. You're, you're, if that were actually a hospital, just because it doesn't have walls doesn't mean it's not a place where people get medical care. It's a hospital without walls with no doctors and nurses. If there were such a place with walls, who would be getting sued? What kind of criminal action would be taken for the negligence? It's just, you think about it, it's just, it goes, it's mind boggling. And yet we, we can't get the, when I talk to a group of uh, county officials, national group of county officials, I, I took, called them all essentially murderers, you know, negligent manslaughter, because they're sending in people that are not trained to do the work. They're like, oh, what? What? I didn't, I didn't know. It's just how it was when I got the job. Yeah, okay, we'll change it. We're bringing the right people in to do the job. And we need armies of people. And we could do it, but it's going to take a lot of work. And it's not even that expensive. That's the thing that gets me. It's, it's, it, and you, could, you borrow... could build six... Uh, go ahead. If we borrow $6.38 billion to not build hospitals, then what are we going to do to build hospitals? They don't want to build hospitals, but that's what's needed. Well, how does it even work within the setting of the extreme? So vote no. 
the extreme oh, shortfall, <laughs> um, the extreme I, budgetary shortfall this year already. I mean, it's I was excited to see see it, and then I was like, "Oh, look, Drew, they're they're doing something about the homeless finally." And then I heard you on KBC with uh, John Phillips, and I heard what you said, and I went, "Ah, oh, crap! <laughs> Here we go again." I see. I don't know. Like when they had the, they used to have a thing where you could uh, roll over your tax, your property taxes if you're over a certain age and sell your house and, you know, in California. And then they had this proposition and it looked really good for seniors, but it took away the good part. And I was like, you got to read to the very bottom and read the fine print. Even the fine print doesn't give you, you have to think of the things that are necessary. In this particular case, it's just too much to, but I agree, 6,800 beds is not worth $8 billion. Well, if if it's three billion to run them for ten years or something, I mean, then we could get people through. I mean, these they were kind of quickly. pointing it at, at the veterans in the in the thing. It was like it's going to help are the, the veterans. Are the which, veterans going to get most of this or no? Yeah, no. tell me here's, about that. Here's here's how this is divided: four point four billion dollars goes to build the unspecified places for treatment, and two billion dollars goes for housing into the same program that is currently buying hotels and converting them with the optional services down the hall that no one's required to use. And what they've done, they're concerned that they're having trouble getting neighborhoods to approve having these built in their area, so they took away the ability for communities to approve it. So there's ministerial streamlined approval for converting hotels to housing in which the residents can still be using hard drugs because of Housing First, which is the state principle that's in law from, I think it's, SB 1380, if I remember right, from 2016, written by Holly Mitchell, now on the Board of Supervisors, uh, running for re-election. I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait till we get the, the fatality rates within walls. It's going to be no different than outside. It may be worse inside because you're really free to do very, your thing. But, but Very much. Do you have that data yet? But, but what about the veterans? You didn't say what, what's going so to the, the veterans. veterans. Nothing? Two, $2 okay. billion, $2 billion of, the, of the bond goes to housing. One billion of that is reserved for veterans, but it is going to build a total of 2,300 housing units. And as of January 2022, there were 10,400 homeless veterans. That's the previous point in time count. So this is just mm. window dressing, really. It's they, If they wanted to help veterans, they would spend the whole $6 billion helping veterans, but they're not. They're just putting enough of it in there so they can save veterans in the commercial and veterans on the ballot. And you won't be surprised to hear that veterans poll very well when they use that language. Right, of course. And, and is this going to be built over at the VA in Westwood or something? Do they have a, a spot yet where they don't have to worry about it's already federal lands? I don't think they've gone that far. I, I, they've just, they said mm. 4,350 units, I believe, and about 2,300 for reserved for veterans. But that's a very small amount. So it's very hard. It's very hard not to. It's very hard not to vote for units for veterans. It's hard not to, even if it's not with treatment. Even it's it's really hard. It's true. Given how much it's just out of control in our streets, it's. I, I imagine the average person is going to go. Well, we got to do something. Well, so, what if the what if the success rate is fifty percent? You know what I mean. Success in what sense? Twenty forty three hundred homes for people and only 20, you know, 50% of people actually stay in them or it works out for them or, you know what I mean? What's yes. the, how do you know what the success rate is going to be? The well, number gets smaller and smaller. Well, we 100,000 homeless people in the street in California, in, in LA, you know, that's just yeah. not that much. We could, 
we can look at the numbers from Project Room Key and the numbers from Project Home Key, and we don't have a report showing success on these policies. And yet this is doubling down on the same policies, not changing them, but funding the same program that is converting this housing. And by the way, it all has to be built in accordance with prevailing wage rules, which means it will be as expensive as humanly possible to build each of these right, units. Well, and this we're seeing in Los Angeles. Yeah. Right. This yeah. we're seeing in Los Angeles under the, the $1.2 billion bond that the voters of LA approved for homeless housing. It was supposed to be 10,000 units. I think now they, they think it will be 7,500 on a good day, but some of them are costing $800,000 each to build. So right. I'm aware of that. Yeah, that's just not well, that's not the way to solve this problem. Well, Susan, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us, and people will have to make their own decisions. It is up to the voters. Uh, and uh, where can people find more? They can find more at the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association website at hjta.org. You can see what HJTA thinks of this measure. It's recommending a no vote on Proposition 1. Uh, and you can find me at the Los Angeles Daily News, dailynews.com. And on Twitter, at Susan underscore Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Dr. Drew. And so, you betcha. Tomorrow, Caleb, uh, I think we have more great guests coming our way. We have Zuby, uh, Rob Henderson, his new book, Troubled. Uh, Willie Soon, Tess Laurie, uh, Brett Weinstein, Dave Rubin, Kevin Bass with Dr. Victor, which can be a really interesting conversation. Kevin has been now kicked out of medical school. I think he, I hope he sues because it, I, I got a lot of thoughts about what how how egregious he was treated, but we'll we'll find out the whole story here. So, and uh, we appreciate you all being here. Brett Weinstein is a big deal, guys. We'll get the chance to talk to him, and it'll be very interesting. To, uh, I'm I'm a biologist by training, so I would love to pick somebody's brain like that. Follow us at Ask Dr. Drew on Twitter. Updates for shows and guests are there. Uh, do follow us on the Rumble channel. Subscribe. Uh, tell a friend. Uh, let me look quickly at what you guys are saying on the restream. Uh, a lot of you are not from California, so you're not coming in on this. Uh, happy Valentine, as uh, Molten Salt says, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Susan, it's for you. Uh, now they love me over there. And uh, <laughs> re, so Caleb's in there screaming re. What's that, Susan? On your mic. On your mic, I don't hear you. YouTube's trying to figure out who I am and asking if I'm jabbed. <laughs> YouTube is. Yeah. What is that? I I was jabbed, by yeah. the way. Yeah. I was jabbed three times yeah. because the first time I got an early vaccine right at the beginning. Um, we were going to Europe. Yeah, and we were going to go to Europe. And Drew and was you hadn't had COVID yet either. By Drew was supposed to get it. I hadn't gotten COVID, so I got a a. a the vaccines at the beginning when all the 80 year olds were getting it. And I didn't tell anybody because it was, I wasn't supposed to, but anyways, I also got a booster because we had to fly to New York and I wanted to be able to go out to dinner. That's you know, right. we have a place in New York, so we like to go back and forth. And, and then we also, you know, we're going to Laguna and I like to go to dinner and they, you had to show your vaccine yep. card. Except we, Dana Point. Then we Dana had to Point fly. Was a, was a bastion of, of freedom. Then we went to Greece. Thank you, Dana Point. We California. went to Greece and had more COVID tests. I mean, in a week, we were getting a swab yeah. every like five every minutes. Every other day, yeah. On a cruise, yeah. like they go, okay, it's we're two o'clock. Everybody in your room, first we're gonna ship 
post-COVID out of Athens Harbor. Yeah, so we went, we had a great time. Nobody had COVID on the entire ship. We all made it back alive. And then- Hey, when I went to did special forces, that's like a year later. Right. I had to be quarantined for a week in a hotel. Right, and tested. whenever you did we television, all every day with TV, you tried to do Teen Mom, and you, they, you couldn't. We couldn't do the Skank Fest because you had to do Teen Mom the next right. week. Everybody got it at the Skank Fest too. <sighs> but anyways, I was like, no, sorry, Skanks can't have Doctor Drew. He has Teen Mom coming up. But if you work in Hollywood or you want to go out to dinner, like old people do, or travel to Europe. Old Europe people. was brutal about this. Remember? And I, I honestly, it was just really hard to watch how stupid it was, you know, but we still, you know, showed our vaccine card every time. And, um, you know, it was just so irritating, but we did it. And fortunately I didn't have any side effects. Drew did. And we, we. Douglas did. He looked terrible. Douglas did. Yeah. A couple of family members. I, I didn't. I wouldn't let him get boosted because he got so sick from the vaccine. But, you know, I may have lost a tooth. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, right. That's I right. had a weird infection on my That's tooth. Right. But um, I had to yank it out. Hard to say. I know, isn't that sexy, everybody over in Rumble? Awesome. But anyways, I, I did get the vaccine. If I didn't have to, I'm not saying I would. If so I, there we go. You uh, know, because I'm a pretty hearty soul. And I, I think that if I'd caught COVID, I probably wouldn't have gotten as sick as I have. In, I've had COVID five times. So yeah. the vaccines didn't do diddly. Right. Of course. You know. Well, kept you out of the hospital. Yeah, so, well, I'm, yeah. You, you wouldn't have been in the hospital, trust me. I uh, needed my papers. My papers had, had to, to be updated and so I could roam around the world. So, Zuby has been a source of uh, solace and sanity through this. And I've never, he and I've changed little DMs here and there, but I've never really spoken to him. Corolla has talked to him and I look forward to talking to him tomorrow. So join us tomorrow at three o'clock. Zuby's our guest. We'll see you here. Zip. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.